You're listening to Consolidate That. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Thank you so much for listening today. Ivan, great to see you again today. I'm excited about our guest. I am excited as well. So I'm Ivan Zach, and we have Greg Schimpf. He's joining us as the co-founder of VetSnap, which is the inventory management solution. They recently released their controlled drug solution. So if you have any controlled drugs, <laughs> then you can use their solution to record them and log them. Hopefully, you're at the same time uh, running a veterinary hospital, not just the control yeah yeah i don't know uh vet snap is not like street snap for anyone that's just doing other control drug selling but no 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 and maybe it's a new market maybe it's a new market <laughs> sorry keep going ivan the incredible experience that Greg has, and, and we wanted to dip into outside of the inventory management, which is also very interested, interesting to consolidators, is his experience in the long-lasting career inside of NVA. And he progressed there from starting right out of college, and he changed positions growing up the corporate ladder, if you will, from accounts payable to inventory analyst, and then he was in business development, then financial analyst, and then eventually was the director of procurement. So Greg, thank you for finding the time and thank you for joining us here. Thank you. Really happy to be here with both of you today. Greg was, uh, I was going to say Greg at his time at NVA was probably that person that I would send emails to over and over <laughs> again as the selling of PIMS yep. or, or any other thing. So I, you know, Greg's probably saw my name and went, oh no, what does he have for me today? So That definitely happened a lot during my tenure at NVA while I was you know, director of procurement, essentially managing all of the vendor relations for National Veterinary Associates, which I was really excited to do. It was a really fun job. It was a great organization to be to participate in and got a, a really great opportunity to meet a lot of folks like yourselves in the industry that were developing software, developing technology, whether that was software or whether that was an actual product that would be used for a veterinary hospital to use and service to clients and patients. So yes, I was that guy that would get the emails. I was the shield at NVA, so to speak, of the middleman, the gatekeeper for all of the vendors. So it was, yeah, it was exciting times. I remember, uh, Greg, I don't know if you recall how we met, but because you probably had so many people you met with. But when I joined MWI, they became our investors in uh, SmartFlow. So we traveled. And for me, it was a huge event because we were going to NVA, you know, head office. And then we arrived. I don't remember the the rep that was working with NVA. Really nice guy. He's like a bigger, socky guy. I don't remember his name. But we arrived. And I remember that- out John of Yamaga. That's him. And I know that his nickname was Yummy inside of MBO. <laughs> they never let that one out. So I don't even know if he knows. Well, he, if he's listening, he'll That's know. Now. He, know, he knows now. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And then we came in and you guys were discussing for about 30 minutes out of the an hour that I was excited about how you were hunting boars. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. John was, a. uh, that's right. I think John was a hunter and I candidly have never hunted boars, but I know a lot of friends that are hunters. And so it's like you have enough information to be dangerous with. Right. And so I know how the gatekeeping worked because we didn't talk about smart flow. We talked about hunting boars. <laughs> so I guess that's, there was a part of your uh, ninja skills in there. I joke with folks, and I think there's some probably some truth to it, but 
procurement is like reverse sales, right? Like you're still having to connect with folks that are coming to sell you a product. You have to engage with them. You also have to build a relationship, right? I, I feel like to be able to really build a true partnership, a, a good partnership with a vendor, you, you need to have, it starts foundationally with trust, familiarity, and, and building that relationship so that you can both do business together. And of course, there's going to be negotiations and Folks are, you're, you're going to want to max, you know, the vendor is going to want to maximize margin and you're going to want to take margin away. But at the end of the day, you've got to make sure that you're building something constructive that both organizations can live with and really like, and really drive, drive the growth of the organization. So that was really kind of how I approached procurement and still how I continue to approach it when I'm, you know, if I'm consulting with anybody. That's awesome. So, and I think that this is an interesting balance and, and to kind of make this episode something w with the takeaways, you know, for consult leaders that are listening to this. I mean, there's so many things that people are bombarded when you go to the trade show as a consult leader. I mean, we just started talking about Galaxy Bets recently and my mailbox is just exploding just with vendors and people. Oh, we heard you do this. You heard you know, do that. And when, you know, we've gone with a couple of console leaders to the trade shows and it's, again, there's so many shiny objects and then it's so hard to prioritize. So, so my feeling is that the procurement has to be really tight with the strategy of the organization. And then I think, again, I'm not familiar with the topic, but it would be great to hear from you that knowing the strategic filter and strategic plan for the next year, quarter, and what the next milestones for the organizations should be driving the procurement strategy. And it's essentially, I think, should be well connected. So was that the story at NVA? Is that what you were guided by? Yeah. So when I started with NVA, we were 75 hospitals. And when I finally got into procurement, I think we were at around 150. So it wasn't, it wasn't as sophisticated as you're describing, but that's exactly how procurement should work. Procurement is performing a process. They're working with internal stakeholders and external stakeholders, which could be, you know, the vendor themselves. And, and you're trying to, you know, coordinate and make a deal work for essentially both parties, right? More for your organization than the other organization, but the other organization should feel good about the partnership that's being created. So for instance, when I worked with, let's say, I know you both have talked to Yang Shi, who's my friend and co-founder, but did a lot of work with the IT department at NVA. And so the IT department would work internally with you know the operators and with the senior level executives to develop a a strategy around the technology that they wanted to deploy or what they were looking at. And then they would engage with procurement and procurement would then go out and start to do market research, start to collect data. Do we already have a baseline of spend for these certain particular technologies? What does that look like? And then who are these vendors and start to really do that research working in conjunction with the you know relevant department. And so a lot of that, that that's a lot of what we did you know, a lot of what my team did, a lot of what we did at NVA was, you know, really trying to bolster and add to, I think, the research as well as the, you know, just the overall conversation about the strategy that they were, you know, looking at deploying. That makes sense. Again, it's it's so cool that you grew with the company and you got sophisticated along the way. So with that, there's a couple sort of tactical steps that I wanted to understand because when you're probably, you know, two, three-man show when you're just running around with your investment deck and, you know, trying to get the first 10 LOIs, it's one story. And then you get bombarded with things and immediately comes to mind, oh, we need the process for this because this is going to go crazy. 
So at which point, and if you could like walk us through, what is that when there is an actually owner of the process, what is that sort of value stream, if you will, look like for the procurement? And is there at what level of size of the of the product or how much it covers, you need to step into things like creating RFPs? Or is it more sort of, did you have to step into that right away and say, okay, if we're soliciting some sort of product, we'll send out the RFP, or this is too little for that? And what are those steps when you started to create the process behind it? It definitely evolved over time as you get size and scale. In the very beginning, we weren't necessarily running RFPs. What was essentially happening was there were already existing contracts when I came into the role with various vendors. And a lot of it was, hey, look, let's look at these contracts. Let's analyze them. Let's get whatever data is available and, you know, from our own internal systems. And then let's start to figure out, like, can we get a better contract? versus last year versus the current contract that we have today. And then over time, what ended up happening was, is we started collecting more and more data. We worked internally with our business intelligence team, and we actually built out a, you know, data mart that we could actually use to, you know, compare products over time and really create like a very comprehensive spend cube for the organization, which was really cool. One of the things that I really believe, and maybe this is just the way that I I trained myself or the mentors that I had along the way was data was foundational for us. And then leading into your question about RFPs. So once we have the data, we know, okay, well, what are the different kind of like spend thresholds? You know, how do you then start to like prioritize the vendors that your ecosystem, your portfolio of hospitals are using? From there, you can determine, does it warrant an RFP? Because an RFP is a very labor intensive process. If, if you've ever been a part of one, for both sides, oh, geez, for, yeah. for, right? It's like, <laughs> I did got one with NBA. Yeah. Right. Like you've got a, a lot, right. You've got a list of requirements. You've got to fill out a huge questionnaire. You've got financial information that you've got to provide. Then there's all of these presentations that go along the way, meeting with different stakeholders within the organization, you know, and if you start passing through, you know, going through that process and you're not cut out of it, I mean, depending on how complex the RFP can be, they, they can run, you know, anywhere from, you know, six months. There was an RFP that I had with distributors that lasted almost 18 months. I mean, it was a really long process. I wouldn't recommend an 18-month process. There were external factors that were going on with both businesses that drove that timeline to be extended. But, you know, it's going to be, you know, a very labor-intensive process. And so I think one of the things that you've got to know is, are the partners that you're working with, right? Like if you're doing, you know, I don't know, a few million dollars worth of spend with them, you know that they're in, they're going to be in it. They're going to be engaged. They're going to want to participate, especially if they're the incumbent. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, so this is interesting. What comes to mind is that part of what you get is with acquired hospitals, you get the list of vendors that are there. So you need to understand whether you inherit those or will, whether you negotiate yourself out of it. Lab contracts, I think, would be like one of those, the most common ones. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think that that is a, that is a question that interests a lot of people. Like, how do you deal with a acquired hospital that has Antac versus IDEX contract and if you want to change? Yeah, it really depends on, I think, the organization and how they're set up, right? With certain lab contracts, right? We all, we've all seen lab contracts. If anybody that's listening to this podcast and they're, they're a consolidator, they've seen what these contracts look like. They know that 
you know, there's buyout amounts. The buyout amounts are, you know, calculated, you know, off of potential revenue. There's penalties. There's all sorts of things that are baked in there that somebody would need to analyze and understand if they were going to go buy them out. Because Antec or IDEX is not going to just let you, after you acquire a hospital, just say, okay, they're acquired. You're not going to assume this contract and we're going to just renegotiate something. So you've got to look at the, obviously look at the contract, look at the term, really understand the mechanics of it. Then the other piece is, is I think is really important is you've got to talk to the hospital. You know, is the hospital happy with the service? Is the hospital, is the hospital looking to use this vendor long-term? And then you've got to look at, I think also like, what's the strategy of the overall organization? Is this a consolidator that is very influential, very directive in type in terms of the type of change that they're enforcing with their hospitals. Is that known before acquisition? Is that known after acquisition? Because sometimes there can be miscommunication during the sales process because business development people love to buy hospitals and you know that's how they grow. So really understanding I think what type of organization or is it like an NVA, which is an inspire which was you know, I think still is, is an inspire, not require organization. And you look at that term of contract and then look at, okay, well, do we talk to this hospital and do we inspire them to change and do we show them the economics and how much value you can actually capture from, you know, switching from vendor A to vendor B? That was a lot of like what we, my team worked on that quite a bit, which was NBA would buy a hospital. They would be with, let's say, Antec because NBA uses IDEC primarily. And we would look at, or Phoenix Labs or what have you, and we look at the mix of tests, we look at the pricing, and then we, you know, compare it to our IDEX pricing, which was great. We had all of the mapping for, you know, like for like code. So it was very easy for us to communicate the value to those practices. And I think that's really important. You know, that's part of the, that, that was part of the offering that NBA had, which was we're a sizable organization. We've got some great contracts and like You've sold to us for a reason, and here's the value that we can provide post-transaction. So, yeah, that was a little bit how we did it with the lab contract. Hopefully, I I don't know if I totally answered your question, but... You did, you did. But that leads to a very good question about the hospitals. So, sometimes with the organizations, especially there's quite a few consolidators out there that their thesis are, we're not going to change anything. And then you're probably that guy that goes, well, <laughs> actually, you like that antibiotic that you always use? Well, Vetris has a different one, and we have a contract with them or whoever you use. So then that's the substitute. What was your process of aligning with the vets and sort of the medical team? And because you don't want to piss off people that were just told that, that we don't change anything. So, so how that process works? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think one of the biggest things that we did in vendor relations, purchasing, procurement, whatever whatever your organization calls it, is we had a really tight relationship with business development. Because it's it's while business development, they of course they want to buy hospitals, but they also, you know, seller satisfaction is very, very important, right? That it's a metric that I think all consolidators should be looking at. And it's very important that you're authentic and, you know, honest and upfront, transparent in the beginning as to like, what are the things that would potentially change? You know, are we changing out practice management software? Are we telling you which distributors you should be using? Are we switching your lab? You know, all of these, you know, are we installing that story up for appointment, right? So all of these different things or pet desk or allied deviant, right? So all of these different technologies or products, it's very important for the business development team to know 
you know, who are your preferred vendors? What is the, I'm using air quotes, the directive, right? Or the, yeah, the directive, the recommendations that they provide to those hospitals. And you have got to align with the team so that they can have that transparent kind of conversation with those, with those sellers. So they know upfront because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that, again, you want to make sure that the sellers, the staff, they're happy, right? They're the ones that are actually seeing clients every day. They're the ones that are producing the revenue for those consolidators. So you need to have them. The last thing you want is them to be like totally, you know, ticked off and disengaged after you just acquired them or partnered with them. What was the cadence of the meetings that you guys would have? Was that something common that yourself and the executive team would be meeting? Or did you really sit down and say, hey, you know, review one or two that came through and didn't go well or went well? Yeah, so there are um, obviously postmortems, right? You're going to have postmortems when things don't go well and try to understand, okay, what broke? Where was the community? Where was there a gap in communication? But coming from business development and knowing, you know, and also, again, being part of the organization for so long, I got to see them build up the business development department. And I was very, you know, very friendly with the folks that worked there. And this was something that they had heard feedback after they were surveying hospitals that they had acquired that, oh, well, we didn't know that this was going to change or that, or this this felt like it was misrepresented or what have you. And that may not have been intentional. It was totally unintentional that that happened. It's just a miscommunication that goes on sometimes. And so after that, it was like, you're meeting with the business development team you know, every quarter. You're talking about any changes in the contracts that you're developing. And then the other thing is, is you know, I was meeting with prospects. You know, I joke that like I was in business development for a short stint. If you go on my LinkedIn, it was like six months. Once you're in business development, you're never out of business development. It's like the mafia. Once you're, what you know, they're always pulling you back in. And so we met with a lot of prospects, and I got the opportunity to talk about preferred vendors and the contracts as as much as you can talk about it because they're not yet part of the organization. So, you know, you can give them kind of directionally what they can expect. You can have that transparent, it helps to have that transparent conversation with them as well. And so it really, I think, reinforces what the business development team says. And then myself as the head of procurement and purchasing was able to have those conversations with those sellers. So, I mean, by the end of it, I was meeting with, I was probably doing, I don't know, a couple of prospect meetings a week where we were meeting with sellers and 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 just communicating to them what would change, what wasn't going to change, what they could expect. And I feel like that is really important. It relieves the anxiety for those sellers, right? And their staff, right? Their staff, is it's very important that you're relieving that anxiety. So they, they know what's going on. It removes that layer of uncertainty. The other thing that would be interesting to talk about, what have you seen change in the recent sort of years in the veterinary domain from where you saw it as a sort of inside of NV, the hospitals, the veterinarians, you know, there's a couple of changes that are interesting. And then with your new initiative and what have you learned in your NV years that helps you to build your new uh, venture? Yeah. One of the biggest things I feel like that has changed is just the innovation, right? I mean, I think all of us can agree that you rewind back to 2014, 2000, not, not much innovation, right? You know, and before not a whole lot of innovation, a lot of legacy PIMs, not a lot of cloud-based software integration with legacy PIMs like, you know, Avamark or Cornerstone, you know, which are still the majority of the market share was fairly difficult and expensive to do. And I feel like over time that became obviously less expensive for startups to do. And so that just really helped, I think, drive innovation. So we saw 
I think, you know, from a technology standpoint, you know, more technology entering into the veterinary space, which I think is a, a really good thing, you know, because I think it can ultimately help hospitals really reinforce the relationship with their clients, which is it's paramount in this business, the client veterinarian relationship. You know, the other thing that we saw it do was um, I think help start to, you know, help hospitals, you know, compete in different channels. So we saw, you know, VetSource, Vets First Choice, you know, which then became Covetris really come into the space and help hospitals really compete with, you know, 1-800-PET-MEDS. And then when Chewy was, you know, Chewy started becoming a, a much bigger player that hospitals were able to actually compete in that front, which is really cool. The other thing that we saw is, or that I saw was, you know, just a lot more competition in consolidators, right? We're seeing, I mean, how many consolidators are there today? I've, it's got to be like, like 40, 50, 50, no, 50? 50. In North America only. Yeah, North America only. Global. There's 50 consolidators. When I first started, I, I feel like there were like three or four of us. Three. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like three. It was like VCA. It was, it was VCA, it was NVA, and it was Banfield. And then we saw VetCore come and, you know, and launch and join the market. We saw Pathway, right? We saw all, all of these others just starting to come into market. You, you saw an emergence of GPOs like VMG and TBC and all of these others. So what I think what we're seeing is that hospitals, while they've worked in these different silos, there's a desire to be part of a larger network, right? And I think that's why we're seeing just the acceleration of consolidation. Also, participation in, in GPOs is because, you know, veterinarians, although, you know, they are very focused on their individual practices, I think that they're eager to know and understand what their peers are doing, what others are doing. And they're always, I feel like, driving for, you know, driving towards innovation. I would say those are the things that I've seen or experienced. And then how does that, like, I guess, translate to, like, what I'm do what we're doing today is, well, you know, what we know is that hospitals are very, very busy, right? We know that staffing is very difficult. We know that the two biggest issues, right, and, and I feel like in veterinary practices, and this is just one man's opinion, is being able to staff and hire veterinarians, hire technicians, and then the other piece is around inventory, you know, and, and being able to manage it effectively. And they're just really, and on the latter piece, they're just really we, we didn't feel like there was a really comprehensive, easy way for hospitals to be able to manage inventory. And that's why we want to, you know, that's why we started VetSnap. Our whole mission is really focusing on hospitals and the staff and trying to make their lives easier because they're just so busy. And we feel like it's just going to be busier with more and more clients, more and more adoption. We know that the industry is growing and that there's just going to be more of a demand of their time. And so how do we make those processes easier for them to manage and using technology to do it. That's great, Greg. Well, we're coming up on our available time, but uh, I do want to make sure that people check out your website, vetsnap.com. Also listen to the episode that Ivan and I did with your co-founder, Yang Shi. You can find that the same place that you're listening to this. So just go back a few weeks and you'll hear the episode with Yang as well. Two questions we ask everyone, and then we'll let you go and get on with your day. First, what is a book that people should read that has been beneficial or influential to you? I read a book a couple of years ago called A Year to Live by Stephen Levine, and he worked with people in hospice for like a year and wrote about folks essentially on their deathbed, like, and asked them questions about if you could have done 
something differently? What would you have done? And a lot of these folks, some of them said, oh, you know, I wouldn't have done anything different. But others were saying, oh, I wish I would have planned. I wish I would have gotten some of my affairs in order, you know, more in order. I would have mended relationships. I would have started a business. I would have moved to France, whatever it happens to be, right? There's all of these like different things that people think about. And that was really helpful for me in that, in, in that, and part of my, you know, that part of my life was just being able to kind of look at that. I, I wasn't not like I had a, really had a year to live or I was dying, but I think just being comfortable with the fact that, hey, at some point, everything's going to end. That doesn't need to be like a horrible, morbid thing. And there's ways that you can actually kind of set your life up and do things, whether it's managing relationships, building relationships, taking the trip that you, you know, have been putting off for years and years and doing those things and trying to be present in the moment. That was just like really, really helpful for me during that time in my life. It still is today. I still try to live by those principles of, you know, being mindful and being present. And then also, you know, am I like living each day? It's so like super cliche, right? Living each day like it was my last, right? Everybody hears that. But like, I felt like the book really helped drive that point home. Yeah, it was a really cool book to read. Awesome. Well, then the last one is if you could recommend someone to join us on the show that our listeners would find valuable, who should join us? One of my good friends, her name is Angela Morissette, and she works at Scratchpay. I don't know if you've had her on the show or not. If not, but not familiar with that, yeah. Yeah, works at Scratchpay, director of partnerships. She also happened to work at NBA in marketing operations, so she has the consolidator experience, but I think what they're doing over at ScratchPay in terms of alternate financing, really just, I, I feel like it's just really interesting. I highly recommend her. Fantastic. Well, well, we'll reach out to her and make sure that we can take care of that because that is very timely. ScratchPay is a, a great product uh, and something I'm very familiar with too. But before we jump off, I have another question that just <laughs> came to me. What was on your bucket list that you've done after reading that book that you haven't before? Are there any things that you were like, this is what I need to do next? And you actually did it. Started my own business. I was going to say, I was like, you read this pretty close to the time <laughs> that the event snap showed yeah. up here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know, Ivan, we can't let that book circulate around the office too much. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, we are pivoting a little bit or, or adding time yeah. to what we do. But I think I figured that a long time ago that you got to chase the dream, whatever it is. So Greg, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining. I know how busy it is to start the venture and being in the startup. So I appreciate your time and your wisdom. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.